millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome along to Eurosport's very own snooker podcast, The Break, with me, Andy Goldstein. And of course, with the World Championship qualifiers now done and dusted, time for the main event. And we'll be bringing you even more podcasts throughout the 17 days in Sheffield. And as usual, you'll be able to download this and other episodes from your favourite podcast platforms. Coming up later in this episode, I'll be chatting with two of Eurosport's finest commentators in Dave Hendon and Rolf Kalb. But first, I'm delighted to be joined by one of the tournament favourites and former champion of the world, Neil Robertson. Neil, lovely to uh, hear from you. Thanks so much for your time today. I'm, I'm very excited actually about speaking to you because there's so much snooker chat I want to throw you away. But before we look ahead, of course, to the Crucible, 17 days hopefully from your perspective, um, how has your preparation been going? You must be very excited about uh, what awaits around the corner for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, like two weeks ago, winning the Tour Championship was perfect in terms of the, the preparation. Um, you know, a huge event to win with just the top eight in the world. And I think the manner in which I won the event uh, was, was, was brilliant as well and probably one of the most satisfying I've ever had in my career. So to have a nice little two-week cushion uh, in between, you know, that and the World Championships, it was great. Um, usually, we're accustomed to playing in the China Open and then coming back and only having like a week to get ready for the world. Um, so the fact there's no jet lag, nothing like that to kind of deal with, um, has, has has made it perfect. Really, you know, I've just been practicing at the club, just you know, maintaining my level, not really practicing too many hours or anything like that, and just kind of fine tuning everything really and getting ready for you know the potential. Sort of seventeen days that waits ahead. And, um, Do you the crowds, think Neil, the crowds too is, is really exciting? Yeah, well, listen, we'll get to the crowds um, in just a sec because that is such a huge part of it. Obviously, for so many reasons, not just snooker, but for sport as well. But um, just going back to what you were saying about no jet lag, no travelling. You know, the majority of the events have been in Milton Keynes, and obviously, I'm guessing all snooker players are feeling as you are. You know, no travelling, no jet lag, etc. Do you think because of that, the quality of snooker we've seen over the season has been any better? Yeah, the, the quality of the snooker this season has been fantastic and, you know, right through the board. I think that, you know, the, the top players have played really well this season, which which is to be expected. But also, you know, you'd have to say probably the lower ranked player standard has been much better because, you know, not really the added pressure of crowds and things like that. So maybe they've felt more comfortable, um, you know, in their environment too. So I think the requirements to win tournaments or to win matches even this season is probably been harder than than any other year I can think of because you've just got to purely outplay the person 
rather than, you know, sometimes the top player might be having a, a bit of a rough performance, but they get bailed out by the pressure of the crowd, which, which you know, then the lower ranked player kind of feels that kind of pressure where they haven't been at the season. So every kind of match, you have to really earn it the hard way, just what, how well you play against your opponent. What have you made of your season? We chatted to Ronnie on uh, last week's podcast. He was praising you for how well you've managed it. And I'm just curious, is it something you did at the beginning of the season? You thought, right, I'm only going to pick and choose? Or as the season went on, you then made that decision? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, you, you don't want to kind of be stuck in that Milton Keynes bubble for too long, week after week after week. Um, you know, World Snooker and everything have, have done an amazing job. and. Uh, the situation couldn't really have been any better in terms of the way it was set up for us, you know, um, especially for me coming from Cambridge, you know, it was only like a 50 minute drive away. So it was easy, easy for me to drive back and forth sometimes in between matches. So yeah, it didn't really feel like I was having to travel away. And, uh, but I thought at the start of the season, I was going to really put a lot into the first half um, and, uh, you know, a couple of big finals. Um, winning the UK Championship, you know, especially the style that I won that there overall, I've set a record for a number of centuries made and beat Judd Trump in the final. Um, so then after that, I decided to be a bit more pick and choosy because I knew I was guaranteed to be in all the invitational events like the Players' Champs, uh, the Tour Championship, which is the one I won, you know, two weeks ago, which is just the top eight in the world. Um, so I, I was very, uh, yeah, I was very conscious of not getting stuck in a rut where you just week after week after week taking tests, you know, all these tests, and then you're just stuck in the hotel room, can't leave. You know, I wanted to have, um, have the option to have a bit more freedom throughout my season. And, um, you know, the, the announcement of the, the crowds at the Masters sort of was, was, was a great buzz, but then it got taken away. Then we went to another lockdown. Um, so I got a little bit down with that as well. And so I didn't really actually want to even really play the game that much anymore and uh yeah like um uh we what do you we mean when you say to... when you say you didn't want to play the game that much anymore what you weren't thinking about retiring around that time were you no no not retiring i just didn't want to play any more of the season okay. apart from a couple of big events you know i wasn't really i was kind of over not playing in front of crowds anymore you know it was just like you know it just didn't really feel like anything and you know i think that maybe because of uh, winning the UK and what I've what I've achieved in the sport, you know, it gets to a period where it doesn't matter what kind of prize money's on the line. You want to play and you want to perform. Um, so yeah, I was a bit down. I was like, you know, really frustrated with my son's football being cancelled for the best part of kind of six months, which was, you know, you know, I kind of like almost lived for that when I when I'm not playing snookers. It's been able to try and help him with his football as much as possible. So, so what what changed for you then, Neil? Um, well, Miller, uh, started working behind the scenes to get my dad over from Australia. And, um, so she did an amazing sort of, uh, she put an amazing amount of hours to, to make that happen. And so, um, my dad arrived about four or five days before the tour championship and that gave me a really big lift. Um, my son was just starting to get back into football training again. So all of a sudden it was kind of like, I felt like I had something to really look forward to, you know, crowds being announced at the crucible. So then all of a sudden I started to get the hunger back. And then, um, you know, I mean, the two championships, I've never played as well as that in any event from start to finish. And uh, yeah, so everything's kind of like back to normal now behind the scenes and I feel fantastic. I was going to ask you about that win actually uh, in the tour championship because that was only a few weeks ago. And, and it now means sort of everyone is talking about how well you played in that. And obviously you're one of, if not the joint favourite for the world championship, your, your second possible title there. Um, 
at the Crucible. Do you feel like you're playing some of your best snooker ever in your career? Yeah, I'm definitely playing the best I've ever played. Um, I guess which is a credit to myself for being able to analyse my matches and always trying to improve as a player year after year. I've never really been satisfied with reaching a certain level. I always try to improve. Um, so, yeah, I've really put the work in as well, um, you know, the last sort of month before two champs. And, um, yeah, it was nice to sort of see it pay off and, and to play so well, you know, beat Jack Lazowski really well. And Selby in the semis, 10-3, who, you know, got the better of me in, in the World Championships last season in the quarterfinals. And uh, it's the first time I've beaten Ronnie over that kind of distance. Um, yeah, I've beaten Ronnie in a couple of finals before, but never a, a multiple sort of session final. So, um, and to do it the way I did was, was, was brilliant. Coming into the World Championships now, Neil, I don't need to remind you that um, incredibly you've only ever won the title once. Um, that was what, over a decade ago. Um, you obviously feel good enough to go for another good run quite deep into the competition, if not all the way. Can you, can you put your finger on as to why it, it hasn't happened more than once for you? Because when we talk, I say we, you know, when either presenters or punters or even other snooker players talk about the game's top players every single time these 17 days come around, your name's always in the conversation. So I find it incredible that you've only won it once, certainly with your talent as well. You obviously feel better going into this World Championships than perhaps previous ones, but is there a reason why that you've only won it once or not? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, you, you can think that you've got a lot of time when you're playing those best out of 25 matches, the three session, three session matches. Um, but playing a best out of 25, if it's a final, is completely different when you're playing it against someone who's ranked 11, 12, 13 in the world who doesn't really have much to lose. You know, the, the, there's nothing really super serious on the line in terms of there being a trophy at the end of it. I think a lot of the matches I've lost over the years, if, if they were a semi-final or final, I'd win them comfortably every time. Um, but, you know, there isn't that pressure yet in the worlds. And so I've probably thought, oh, I've got loads of time, even if I have a bad session. Sooner or later, I'm going to overpower them. And it's not really been like that. It's always been a session where I've, I've kind of like lost it, where the match went a bit sort of scrappy. And um, I've never really been able to recover the situation. That probably goes back to me probably trying to wait for things to happen and, and just expect to kind of get through um, rather than be present for every single session. You know, you look at Ronnie, uh, what he's done in the World Championships, he always has a session where he blows someone away and he's always there every session. You know, he never really has too many bad sessions. But when he has a good session, it's a great session where, you know, he almost, um, he almost wins the match in one session. So that's something that I've got to look at and play the match on my terms. If I play a match on my terms, then, you know, boy, somebody's got to play so, so well to win. Last year, I played on Selby's terms. The year before, I played on John Higgins's terms. Scrappy matches, not what I want to be a part of. But if, is there anything trains, you can you do? Is there, is there anything you can do when you're involved yeah. in a match like that? You say, you know, last year I played it on Selby's terms. How do you swap that around so all of a sudden in that match, it starts becoming on your terms? What differences do you make? Well, the, the safety play is huge because if I play a really good safety shot against Selby or Higgins, but if the balls aren't open and they're not under any pressure, they can just play a dump shot. They can just play a thin shot for the Reds. You know, then 15 minutes later, he's still playing safe. Um, what I've been able to do really well this season, um, you know, which I beat Mark Selby four times this season, was get the balls open early and make him actually have to go for a long red. And, you know, when people are playing me, when the balls are open, they know if they miss, they're going to lose the frame. And that applies a lot of pressure to your game. Um, so, yeah, it's just those kind of things, really. It's, it's nothing to do with me missing more or less balls or 
or anything where, like that. Where did, the, where the did that come from then? Important. Where did that come from? Because now you say that, that's so obvious, you know, uh, even more so for someone like you that loves attacking the game and even more so against someone like Mark Selby, whose safety game is absolute granite. So who put that idea in your head? Why is that something you've not done before? Um, I mean, it's happened It's happened a few times in my career. A couple of times I've lost in the Worlds and I thought, geez, I never want to lose like that ever again. And then I've kind of like put it right for the next season or two seasons where I've won a lot of events. And then, you know, you also have to understand that like in the World Championships, I've, you know, I've lost so close, I've lost a lot of close matches, lost to Ronnie in the quarters, really close game, which was, it was pretty much the final. Um, you know, Higgins as well, a couple of years ago in the quarters, close game, like, you know, Selby last year. So the players I'm losing to, these aren't, players that it's like massive upsets these are guys who have won multiple world championships um and if you look at the last nine eight years or so you know uh, ronnie and selby have won three each so there haven't been too many other opportunities there you know i mean judd trump's only won the world championship once since getting to the final in 2011 so the same kind of uh, argument could be made for him as well why hasn't he won more um and that's the key it's, it's playing the match on your terms um and uh yeah, it's just something that you have to believe in yourself all the way through. You can't be afraid to. You're better off losing a frame where somebody's made a big break rather than losing it that takes 40 minutes because it saps all the momentum out of the match and everything. So um, the key is not being afraid to give your opponent chances as well. Now, you mentioned at the top of our chat just how well everyone seems to be playing this year for so many reasons, including, of course, the lack of travel. Uh, you've just mentioned you've reeled off some fantastic names, multiple winners of the World Championship. It's such a tough one to call this year. Who? Who, do, apart from yourself, obviously, who do you think are the main people to beat? I mean, yeah, the, look, the, the fate, it's with me, it's not really I'm worried about who uh, I'm concerned about trying to win, uh, trying to beat to win the tournament. Um, you know, for me, if I play well, then I've got a great chance. It doesn't matter who I play. I beat Ronnie in the final to a chance to beat Judd in the final UK Championship. So it's, I'm not really concerned about who I play. Um, but you have to, the obvious favourites are, you know, definitely Ronnie. I think he's going to be, it's amazing he's off five finals this season. I think he's going to be so hungry to, especially also, you know, he's going to be going for to equal Hendry's record, isn't he? It's going to be so much motivation for him. He may play it down, but, you know, you, you saw when he won it last year, when he equaled Steve Davis's record, how much it meant to him. Uh, you know, yeah, like Ronnie, Higgins, Judd, Selby, they're the clear ones that are like the standouts, you'd have to say. But then there's a lot of other players as well who can go all the way depending on the draw or you know, certain upsets. Things can open up like last year in the top half of the draw, you know. So, um, yeah, you just have to wait and see. I, I would expect the winner to be someone who isn't a surprise, you know, but you never know. Uh, just going back to Ronnie, I'm interested to get your views, actually. Whenever he, he talks about the World Championship and that possible number seven or even eight, he does play it down quite a lot. Um, he's just about got every single record for most amount of triple crown wins to rank into titles. I mean, the list is endless, but the one he doesn't have is, of course, equally in Stephen Seven or even better in it by eight. Whenever I talk to him either on or off camera, it's always, no, I'm not too fast. You know, I just enjoy snooker, et cetera, which I get. But do you think deep down, or maybe not even deep down, do you think inside when he closes the door at night and everyone goes to bed and he looks in the mirror, do you think he really does want that seventh and eighth title? Yeah, of course he would, but he is also genuine when he's not too fussed because it's like me, how come I've not, not won it more than once? You know, you look at my career and what I've won, I can't look back on my career with regrets when you've got guys that are like on and off the tour struggling and don't even make quarter or semifinals. So 
um, it's kind of something that it won't let him affect him in terms of the pressure. But if he were to do it, then it would come on him and then he would realize what he's done. Yeah, he won't be playing matches this year thinking, I've got to get the seventh, I've got to get the seventh. He, he won't be like that. He's too experienced and, and won enough in the game to show you that he doesn't really sort of think about those things when he's playing or in the preparation. Um, he would use it as positive motivation. He, he certainly won't succumb to the pressure of that. Uh, now, we are recording this podcast um, on the morning of the draw for the first round of the World Championship at the Crucible. Um, having just been made, your first round opponent was drawn out the bag and it's Liang Wengbo. What was your reaction when you found out it was him? No, it's a repeat of last year. We we drew each other in the first round last year as well, which is quite funny. I, I can't think of how many times maybe that's ever happened in back-to-back draws where you've drawn the same player. I'm not too sure how many times that's happened. Um, but, yeah, I think everyone who qualified, they're all, you know, you've got to be a really good player to qualify. You know, you, there's no one kind of that gets through by luck or anything like that. So, you know, and Liang is, um, you know, someone who's a very kind of, uh, unpredictable kind of character on the table and um, yeah he's, he's a great player he plays the game the right way as well you know it's it's good to get a player who uh, is attacking as well I guess you know there won't be kind of any concerns for me about someone trying to put the ball safe or trying to purposely put the black safe in the playing safety shots um, yeah it'd be a pretty open game which suits me so that's um, that's fine and we get to play on the first uh, the first day as well which is quite nice you know new cloth in the table so conditions should be playing really good too but before I let you go, I've got two questions for you. Firstly, uh, I saw on social media, I think I'm right in saying, you made in practice two 147s back-to-back. Is that right? Yeah, a couple of days ago. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I've never done that before because, I, I mean, 90% of my practice is uh, just by myself. So I don't really get to – I don't play people that often. So to make back-to-back 147s was, was actually really nice because, like, my dad was there as well. So it actually put a lot of pressure on me because he's never seen it before. And so I was really keen to do it for him because he was, like, he was watching. He was, like, he was on one of the other tables just sitting the balls around and. Uh, and he was watching as well. And one of the owners of the club was recording it on their phone. And the thing was, is that when I got to the colours, I could hear his phone go off as if he was recording it. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> you just put me bang under the pump there. But uh, yeah, that's why I was so happy when I did it because uh, yeah, my dad was there. It was really nice. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just unbelievable to do that. What What's the pressure like when you're clearing up yellow to black in the second 147, knowing that you're doing it on the bounce of the first one? Compared to the first yellow to black, is it exactly the same, or is it even double? Because you know, I mean, it's a little the, bit of history. The first, yellow, the first yellow to black. I mean, there's always like a little something there. It's always nice making one four seven, but you kind of like being there, done that before. But then back to back, you know, you don't get that opportunity very often. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think I said that after I potted the black, I was more nervous on that last black than in any match or tournament winning winning pot I've ever had. So <laughs> it's quite funny. wow. And what what happened in the third frame? Uh, the third frame. The third frame. I was actually on for a third one. I went into the pack on thirty-two, and I didn't land on a red. And I could have gone for such a stupid kind of plant, but it would have been completely disrespectful to who I was practicing with. And I said, "I'm going to play the right shot here." So I just, I, I just did because the thing is, but the two one four sevens I made before it were perfect. I was never on anything else but perfect on the black, the reds, everything. It was like immaculate, perfect. No potting reds going in and out of bulk or any stupid doubles. It was just perfect. So I kind of didn't want to do something that was unrealistic that wouldn't be kind of you wouldn't do in a match. So I just, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, listen, before I, I let you go, you, you mentioned, yeah, I'm sure you still could have potted it. Um, 
you mentioned that you're you playing uh, Saturday afternoon, I think it is, against Liang Wenbo. What will the hair be looking like when you come out? Uh, similar to the two championships, probably a fraction longer. So, um, yeah, I can't, mate, I can't cut it. Everyone says it's like Samson or something. If you cut your hair, you lose your power. So, yeah. and if I get a haircut and everything, and if I get beat, everyone will blame it on the haircut. So there's no excuses going in. So I'm just going to keep, keep going with it. And Ronnie, Ronnie loves it. Ronnie says I've got to keep it as well. So <laughs> I like it. I like it. I've spoken to World Snooker. They say you can play with a beanie hat on, so you'll be fine. <laughs> Listen, Neil, um, I'm a huge fan of yours and, and the way in which you play snooker. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. And good luck as well at the Crucible. Good luck for Saturday afternoon. All right, cheers, Andy. Thanks, mate. As always, a big thanks to Neil Robertson. Always great to catch up with the former champion of the world and good luck to him on Saturday afternoon. I mentioned, of course, that his first round opponent is Liang Wenbo and it's time now to dissect the entire draw. And to do that, I'm delighted to be joined by Eurosport snooker royalty, their words not mine, in Dave Hendon and our German Eurosport legend, and he is Rolf Kalb. How are you, lads? It's lovely to hear from you, and I can actually see you because we're doing this on Zoom, but how are you both? Very well, Andy. I'm great. Thanks a lot. Well, listen, uh, I'm sure you're both as excited as I am now the draw for the first round proper has been made for the World Championships, and of course, I've got you both here on the show to um, get your views on it. So, Listen, I'll start with you, Dave, of course. The defending champion, number one seed, Ronnie O'Sullivan, was drawn against Mark Joyce. What sort of game can we expect? Will Ronnie be pleased with that draw, do you think? I think he will. I think more to the point, Mark Joyce won't be pleased with it. Uh, He's been waiting for 15 years to get to the Crucible, never played there before, and he's playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. On your debut at the Crucible, you're going to be nervous. And I think the, the biggest issue here, apart from playing Ronnie, obviously, which is big enough, is it's the first match. He can't go there for a few days and soak up the atmosphere, get used to being at the Crucible. He's playing at 10 o'clock on Saturday. It it feels like it's into the lion's den for me. Now, obviously, we don't know how Ronnie will be feeling, how he'll play, but I think think he would be pleased with that draw. And I think if you put a camera on Mark Joyce when that draw was made, watching at home, he would not be punching the air, would he? That is not a good draw for him. I mean, it'll be an experience, but, you know, he could have had easier matches. Of course he could. Uh, Rolf, um, the winner of that match will face uh, quite an interesting tie, actually, in Ricky Warden against Anthony McGill. And I say uh, interesting because we know that Ricky Warden, on his day, is a great player, but he's had problems with his back, which I understand, hopefully, are, um, excuse the pun, but behind him now. Uh, but he does take on the number 16 seed, Anthony McGill, who, of course, we know how close he came last season to getting into the final. Um, do you still think McGill will have that? horror show in his mind or will he have moved on from there? How do you see this one going? Uh, well, I, I think uh, that's, that will be the key for him to get that match, uh, that semi-final uh, out of his head uh, because uh, otherwise he's blocking himself. But uh, Ricky Walden is a very dangerous animal and uh, he's experienced. He knows uh, the, the, the World Championship played there on several occasions already. So it's quite a tough draw for Anthony McGill who didn't have the best of seasons. Um, Dave, Ding Wee, seed number nine, takes on probably the player that no one really wanted to get, or the qualifier no one wanted to get, and that's the former champion of the world, Stuart Bingham. This is, I think, probably the most difficult first-round match to predict. But um, I'll start off by asking you about Ding Wee because he still has that monkey on his back, as he never won the world championship. And when he came on the scene, everyone expected it was just a question of when, not if. How do you see this match going? I know it's going to be tight. And just tell me a bit about Ding and why you think he's not won the World Championship yet. 
I mean, it's hard to win is the, is the obvious uh, answer. But yeah, you're right. When he burst through as a teenager, you know, he was very much touted as potential world champion. It's really the only thing he's not done. It's been a very difficult year for him. He's not been back to China since last July. So he's not seen his wife and daughter since then. That's very, very difficult. Um, how that will work out playing Stuart Bingham, I don't know. Maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, you know, it takes the pressure off because if I lose, I go home. I don't know. I do think that Bingham and Ali Carter were the two qualifiers all the seeds wanted to avoid. Stuart Bingham, you know, it's unusual to see him in the qualifying. He came through very well, played really well, actually, against Luca Brassell. And he goes there without having the pressure that he normally has as a first-round seed. You know, he's playing as a qualifier. He's got matches under his belt. That's a stinking draw for Ding, I think. He's not had a good season. As I say, it's not been an easy situation for him this year. So Bingham wins, that's no great shock at all. Uh, Rolf, let me get your view on that draw as well. Do you count Stuart Bingham as a potential winner this season in the World Championships? Is he back to his best, do you think? Uh, I think, yes. At least he's close to his best. He uh, comes to the Crucible with a lot of confidence. He played really well, as David said already. Uh, So he's in full flow, and uh, that makes him very dangerous. And he has proven already in 2015 that he's uh, capable of going all the way because it wasn't uh, an easy draw he had uh, when he clinched the title. So he really is the most dangerous qualifier this year, alongside maybe with Ali Carter, as Dave said. Okay, before we move on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. It's horrible, I know. But um, Rolf, I'll stay with you. Who do you see getting through to round two in that one? Uh, Ding versus Bingham. I fancy Bingham. I fancy Stuart. Okay. Dave, you're going to sit on the fence, or are you going to agree or disagree? I'm going to get right off the fence and say I agree with Rolf. I think Stuart Bingham, just with the momentum he's had and the fact he's not going there with the usual pressure of being seeded, I think, yeah, I think he'll beat him. Okay. Uh, Dave, I'll stay with you for the next matchup. It's Jamie Jones against Steve Maguire, seed number eight. And whenever I watch Steve Maguire, I just don't know what one I'm going to get. Is it going to be the Maguire where I think he can go all the way and become UK champion, which of course he's done? Or is it a Maguire where I'll look back and say, how's he not won that game? So what, what have you made of Maguire's season? Because it has been a bit up and down, actually. And um, is he a potential winner of the World Championship? Can he go deep into this comp- competition or not? He can. He's good enough. I think in terms of his season, it's been quite truncated. He hasn't actually played since February. His last tournament was the Welsh Open. So literally got no form at all. He got fed up of driving to Milton Keynes from Scotland, seven hours, and indeed seven hours back when he's lost. Hasn't enjoyed all of that. So he's a bit of an unknown quantity. Got to be said, his crucible record isn't as good as you might think. You know, he's been in a couple of semi-finals, but not really. He's lost a lot of first-round matches, actually, quite a lot of close first-round matches. And of course, he's playing someone who wasn't even on the tour a year ago. Jamie Jones had to go to Q school. You know, he's been through quite an ordeal. He got suspended. He had to get back on. He wasn't sure if he'd ever play again. He's very emotional when he qualified. So I think that's a, a potential banana skin. Again, Maguire, as I say, we haven't seen him for two months. So I'm sure he's been practicing, but he's got no match play form to speak of. Uh, Rolf, tell us a bit more about Jamie Jones, because, of course, uh, a qualifier this year at the Crucible, maybe a few people aren't too sure about his background. How highly do you rate him? And is this a possible upset, do you think, in the first round? Uh, Surely it is a possible upset, because Jamie Jones has nothing to lose. He plays the best season of his career since uh, getting back on the the main tour. He was one of the up-and-coming players until he got uh, suspended and uh, dropped off the tour. But he's full of motivation now, and he has nothing to lose. He comes uh, to the Crucible knowing that's the best season of my career. I'm established now again on on the main tour, so he can only win. Okay. 
Uh, I'll start with you, Rolf, for uh, John Higgins against Tian Peng Fei. And John Higgins, of course, multiple winner of the World Championship. And dare I say it, and I didn't think I'll be saying this for a long, long time, looks back to his best. He's, of course, won another ranking event in recent weeks and, of course, was just sublime in his semi-final at the Masters against O'Sullivan. Uh, definitely, definitely. John Higgins, the way uh, he won the Players' Championship, that was an incredible snooker he played there. And if we can see that John Higgins again, uh, he potentially can reach the final and whoever knows uh, what can happen. But uh, Tian Fei, obviously, yesterday also was uh, very emotional, was in, in, in tears after qualifying. Uh, so that means a lot for him, but he is already a winner. It's his uh, second appearance at the Crucible and first time he played there. Uh, he, he, he lost to, to, to Judd Trump, but it went all the way. It was uh, de- uh, in, a, in a decider. Um, Dave, I'll stay with, with you for this one because John Higgins, I think I'm right in saying, along with Mark Williams, would become the oldest crucible champion if they were to be successful after those 17 days. Um, if I have perhaps asked you this question a few months back, your answer would have been no, but I'm guessing it's now a big fat yes as to whether or not he can win the title again. He can definitely win it again. I mean, it's amazing to think that sort of 30 years into his career, a very slight change in his technique seems to have changed everything. He's moved his bridge hand slightly closer to the cue ball. It doesn't sound much that, does it? But it's given him more power, more control. And the way he played at the Players' Championship was unbelievable, really. He just battered everybody, basically. Incredible performance. And, of course, he'd been in three finals recently, not playing like that. He actually got to three finals in recent years, maybe not at his absolute best. So... If he can sustain that, that's the thing. It's a long tournament, 17 days. He's going to have to play like that, you know, every round. That's not easy to do. And he's not getting any younger. You know, stamina might be an issue. But he's got the, the all-round now, definitely, to, to win it, I think. Yeah, if he is going to win it, Rolf, of course, he's going to have to beat Mark Williams in round two because if Mark, of course, gets past Sam Craigie, that will be the matchup for a place in the last eight. And if they do, of course, meet, then I think legally we have to have a nurse on standby because of their combined age. But... Um, Mark Williams will be playing Sam Craigie. Um, I think this is a real tough one to call, actually. Uh, Yeah, but I still expect Mark Williams uh, to win that match because I'm very impressed how relaxed uh, Mark is playing now. He might not have the level he showed uh, uh, three years ago when when he won his uh, third title, but the relaxed approach will help him because he never seems uh, to be under pressure. And, uh, of course, he's much more experienced uh, than Sam Craigie, who is playing in the Crucible for the first time. He's uh, one of only two debutants uh, this year. And how do you think he'll break off? Because we've seen him come up with this interesting, boring... Um, I'm just trying to be quite kind to him. I think interesting and boring are probably the only two words that sum up the break coming off the top cushion. And into the pack. I get why he does it, so he doesn't leave his opponent a red. I understand that. But the World Championship, Rolf, do we really want to see that? I don't know. Well, at the end of the day, it's about winning frames, about winning matches. And if he feels that's the best way for him to win that frame, he will do that. He doesn't care what other people think about it, whether they like it or not. It's only about him. And, uh, well, you have to be selfish as a sports person. Yeah, Dave, are you a fan of it? It's, I suppose, the snooker equivalent of parking the bus, isn't it? I wouldn't say I'm a fan of it, but, of course, one of the reasons Mark does it is because people don't like it. You know what Mark's like. If he can wind people up (laughs) during the day, that's the result, isn't it? And the fact that everyone is commenting on it, you know, it's almost like he's got under their skin already. If you actually look at it objectively, 
it's actually, okay, the first couple of shots are quite dull. Black's never tied up, though. So once the reds get open, actually the frames tend to be quite open. It's a perfectly legal shot. Now, whether they'll ban it in the future, who knows? I think that would be an overreaction, personally. Um, it's a talking point. Listen, it, it's a talking point. And Mark will continue to do it as long as people don't like it. Uh, let's talk about a few other big matchups as well, Dave. I'll stay with you for Kurt Mafflin against Mark Selby. Of course, Mark, another multiple winner of the World Championship, seed number four for this one, up against, as I say, Kurt Mafflin. And uh, I've seen Kurt Mafflin play. I know Jimmy White's a big fan of his. He, he talks about him um, every time I meet up with Jim and tells me how good a player he is and how, much, uh, how many hours he's putting on the practice table. How good a player, in your opinion, is Kurt Mafflin? And uh, how tough a game is this for the three times champion of the world, Mark Selby? Mafflin's a really good player, as he, as he proved last year, getting to the quarterfinals. But I think for him, this is not a good draw. I think he prefers it when it's a nice open game because his best part of his game is his scoring. We know what Mark Selby can do to people, particularly at the Crucible in the longer matches. They played in the first round, actually, back in 2015. It went the distance. It went to a decider. Um, Selby, I don't know what he would feel about that draw, but I think he would be pretty confident overall. Mafflin actually has... I mean, he did qualify, obviously, but he hasn't played that much this year, actually. He's not really been seen. Um, I don't think that's the worst draw Selby could have. It wouldn't be a massive upset, though, if he lost, bearing in mind, as you say, Mafflin got to the quarters last year. Uh, Neil Robertson, who we've spoken to on this podcast, of course, uh, who's been playing fantastic snooker, you could argue some of the best, if not the best of his career, up against Liang Wen by a repeat of last season's first round, Rolf. He's going to take some stop in Neil, isn't he, this season in the World Championships? Uh, definitely. Uh, the way he won the Tour Championship it was that impressive. And uh, I know in your podcast, Ronnie O'Sullivan said that was uh, the best snooker he has ever seen. And I totally agree uh, with Ronnie on, on that. So the only question about Neil is whether he has the consistency uh, which it needs to, to, to win the title at the Crucible. Because also in, in, in recent years, he started very well, but maybe he peaked a little bit too early and ran out of uh, stamina at the business end of the World Championship. So he has to be careful, but he has, will have learned his lessons uh, and that makes, it, makes him a very uh, dangerous animal in my eyes. Yeah, and it's been an interesting season for him as well, Dave, because apart from the fact that he's been playing just some of the great snooker we've seen for a long, long time, he's, um, he's been very methodical in which competitions he'll actually play in. Um, he also spoke on this podcast of the fact that there's no travelling. It's only just to Milton Keynes. I know they've gone to Wales for a couple as well, but no jet lag just before the World Championship, which um, I think is quite interesting, actually, because he said a lot of the players are coming into it a lot more fresh than they ever have been. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's been a very strange year for everyone, obviously, for lots of reasons. And Neil has found it quite difficult. He's spoken about the fact, again, as with Ding, he can't go home to Australia to see his, his family. His father's come over. Um, he's, it, Neil's partner arranged for that to happen. So that must be a positive. And actually, he arrived the day before the Tour Championship. I don't think it's any great accident that Neil suddenly turned it on that week, you know, having had that great sort of personal boost. I think the two do go together. Uh, listen, he's a great player. Um, it seems surprising he hasn't won it more than once, but his career is far from over, quite obviously, and he's got a great chance. I think he's feeling good this year. He's feeling good in himself. I do agree with Rolf, though, about sort of peaking too early. You know, a couple of years ago, he looked the only winner, actually, after the first two rounds and then petered out. And the one thing is, if he comes up against, let's say, a slogger, I'm talking about a Selby, Karen Wilson, who can make it difficult, John Higgins, that's where he's come unstuck against those sort of guys at the Crucible. He needs a better strategy, I think, to deal with them. He can't get sucked into 
the tactical game because that's not his game. Rolf, the winner of that match, Neil Robertson against Liang Wenbo, will take on either Ali Carter or Jack Lazowski. I think this is possibly the first round match I'm most looking forward to watching, actually. Yeah, because it's a clash of styles and uh, I'm sure Jack uh, is not happy with the draw because uh, uh, Ali Carter is a type of player which uh, doesn't really suit Jack. Jack needs an open game and Ali Carter can make it very tactical and it will be very difficult uh, for, for Jack to cope with that. Dave, when we talk about Jack Lazowski, the first thing we all talk about is how many finals he's got to. He's not won them. He's still looking for his first ranking title. I mean, it'd be so ironic if he became world champion. That was the one. Has he got the game? Because it's, it's such, you know, the first round's best of 19, then it's best of 25. It's such a, a tough competition to win for so many reasons, obviously. Has he got the game to win over 17 days, do you think? Well, all we can go on is what's happened previously, and he's only won one match at the Crucible. Carter's beaten him in the past, obviously lost last year. Anthony McGill, he goes there this year playing the best he's ever played, as you say, looking for that victory. In a close, long match, could you see him beating a Trump, an O'Sullivan, a Robertson? I have to say I couldn't. Um, but it would be great for Snooker if he went a long way. I think he's the sort of player who the public would definitely get behind. But from his results so far at the Crucible, you know, it suggests... I mean, I agree with Rolf. This is a horrible draw for him, really. Ali Carter has played... So much snooker, kind of under the radar since the new year. He's played Pro Series, Championship League, very match hard. And, you know, we know what a dangerous player he is. He's been in two finals there. So I think for Jack to get on a run at the Crucible, he needed an earlier first, easier first match than this. And this is a stinker. Uh, Rolf, when you look at the next two matches, talking of stinkers, I mean, it's so difficult to predict the winner in round one, let alone who could meet in round two, etc. Barry Hawkins takes on Matthew Sell. And below that is Gary Wilson against Kyron Wilson. Obviously, the seeds there are uh, the Hawk and, and Kyron, but these are tough games for both of them to get through. We know, of course, Kyron got to the final last year and was beaten by Ronnie O'Sullivan. Barry Hawkins has, of course, been to a World Championship final himself. Again, two more players in the Hawk and Kyron that you, you can't write off, can you? Because they've been there, done it and seen it. Uh, no, not, not at all. They could be uh, dark horses, but they have got to the tough first-round draws because uh, Matthew Selt himself said, He's playing the best snooker of his life, and uh, I agree with him. He is playing his very best snooker, and Gary Wilson, okay, he, had, he, he didn't have a good season, uh, but uh, he played very well at, uh, at the qualifiers, and he also knows how to do it. So if Barry and Kyron, they have uh, tough uh, matches ahead in the first round, but if they can get that out of the way, they can become very dangerous. Dave, can you learn anything from a defeat in a World Championship final? I, I know I'm asking you like you've been there and you've got beat a few times. I'm not, but you've commentated on so many finals, obviously. Well, I think if you look at the example, actually, from 30 years ago, John Parrott. Now, two years prior to that, 1989, he was absolutely hammered by Steve Davis, 18-3. Pretty crushing, pretty humiliating. He did learn from it. He went away. He got a lot tougher. He actually beat Davis in the 91 Championship along the way, and he beat Jimmy in the final to win the title. So. Yeah, there's, a, there's quite a few examples of players who've been in a final, haven't quite been ready to win it, but the experience of having been in a final has stood them in good stead the next time they're there. Dennis Taylor lost to Terry Griffiths, went on to win it, etc., etc. So, yeah, I think the fact he's been in a final is a plus for Karen Wilson, definitely. Okay, I do think the difference between Dennis Taylor losing a final and winning it was the glasses, because, of course, <laughs> he didn't have them in that first final. 
Um, let me get your views, Rolf. I'll come back to you on, on Sean Murphy against Mark Davis. Listen, I adore watching Sean Murphy for so many reasons. He he plays the game as I would like to play it. His cue and action is just Rolls Royce. Like he's he's been there, done it, and seen it, and of course owns the T-shirt as well. Has he got the game that can take him all the way, Mark Davis? Is that a tough first round for him? Do you think? Uh, well, Sean for sure has uh, the game to to go all the way at, at the World Championship. Uh, as you said, it's it's a Rolls Royce game and it's uh, attractive to to watch. So it would be also good for 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 the viewers and for the audience if he uh, could go a long way. Uh, but with Sean, well, the main question is whether his self belief is there. If it is, he has got every chance. But he has to be aware that Mark Davis, with all the experience he has, it's the twelfth time he's playing at the Crucible that Mark Selby is a dangerous first-round opponent. And Dave, what have you made of Sean Murphy's season so far? been a very difficult season for him. Um, he lives now in the Republic of Ireland, and it's been a choice between either being at home and not being able to practice or coming to tournaments and spending a long time away from home, not going back as players in the UK will. So that has definitely affected his form. And, it, and you know, Sean's a very sunny, positive person, but I think it's affected mental health as well. It's been difficult. Everyone's got their own situation, haven't they? His results haven't been good. Maybe he'll be fresher, having not played so many matches. You can look at it however you want. Again, he's gone the distance. He's been in three finals, won it once. But he hasn't shown much this season that suggests he's going to win the tournament. And he's in a very tough little section, which, of course, I'm sure we'll get onto in a minute, but includes Judd Trump. It does. And it also includes, Rolf, two former Masters, or one current one in Yambing Town, a former German Masters winner, in Martin Gould, can can Yan Bingtao possibly? Can we talk about Yan Bingtao as a future world champion? Add another triple crown. Uh, yes, of course, he has the ability and the potential to win uh, every event. Uh, but I'm not sure whether he's already ready for for for, for the real big one. Okay, he has won the Masters, but uh, the World Championship that's still different class, uh, longer matches, and so on. And, uh, of course, uh, Martin Gould, uh, again, is a very dangerous opponent. And he, nobody would have liked to draw uh, Martin Gould for the first round. So will Jan Tao will feel the same. And before we get to uh, the number two seed, and, of course, the former champion of the world, Judd Trump, let's talk about the game that he or Liam Highfield will play the winner of. And that's seed number 15, Dave Gilbert, and Chris Wakelin, Dave Hendon. Um, I think this is quite a tough one because Dave, Dave Gilbert was at a, a stage in his career, maybe 18 months ago, where it was just a matter of time before he became a ranking event winner. That's still not happened yet, has it? No, and he nearly got to the final two years ago and just lost out to Higgins in, in pretty emotional. I don't think there was anyone at the Crucible not crying, actually. Backstage, Dave leading the way, Rob Walker, all the rest of them, everyone backstage very upset for him because he'd come so close to getting to the final and you could see what it meant to him. I think the dynamic here is they're from the same area. They know each other well, which is difficult, I think, you know, playing a friend. Dave Gilbert would have been happy to see Chris qualify and all of a sudden, it may even have practiced together in the next couple of days, all of a sudden playing him, they've got to stay apart from each other. Uh, Wakelin lost very narrowly to Trump a couple of years ago in the first round. He was nearly off the tour, actually. He had to do well in the qualifiers to keep his tour card, so he's done really well. Difficult one, that. I think the dynamic between them makes it difficult. I wouldn't rule out Wakelin winning that one. That one. Okay. And finally, Rolf, I'll come back to you. I'll, I'll get both your views on, of course, Judd Trump former champion of the world, number two seed, of course, could meet the rocket in the final, but that's a long way off. 
because Liam Highfield stands in his way of a second round matchup with either Dave Gilbert or Chris Wakelin. Judd Trump at the moment playing some of the best snooker we've ever seen from anyone on the planet. Uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, winning five titles in, in such a difficult season, uh, uh, that's a great achievement. Uh, so Judd Trump, of course, is one of the great uh, favorites for, 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 for the title. Uh, last year, I guess he would have had a good chance to break the crucible curse, but the break between the, let's say, early part of the season and the World Championship was too long, so he lost his rhythm in these strange times. That will be different uh, uh, this year, and he doesn't have to carry on his shoulders that he's the defending champion, which also makes it easier for him. So for me, he's a big favorite uh, to win. Of course, we know uh, Judd Trump can have problems in early rounds. He, we have seen that also during uh, uh, several world championships. But still, for me, he's a big favorite to beat uh, Lime Highfield and to go deep this year again. Okay. And Dave, your views on Trumpy, as I call him? I agree with Rolf about the first round. He's had problems in the past. Usually gets through, but it's usually a scramble, you know, 10 8, 10 9. I fancy him if he does come through that he will settle into the tournament when we get into the really longer matches. And you can see him kind of blitzing his way through those best of 25s if he can keep the same form he's shown earlier in the season. The one thing, though, is, you know, this is not, without any disrespect to all the other tournaments, this is not the Gibraltar Open. This is not the European Masters. This is the World Championship. It's a completely different tournament. It's longer matches. The eyes of the world are on it. And he's under pressure, I guess, to back up the great year he's had by winning the biggest tournament of them all. He knows that at the end of his career, if he's only won one or even two world titles, he's not going to remember, be remembered in the same breath as the O'Sullivans, the Higginses, the Hendries. So he needs to start winning them. Now, he's playing well enough to do that, but he is under pressure to get it done You know, in the next few years. Um, we'll see how he goes. I, I think it's a good first-round draw. Liam Highfield's only played there once before. He's done well to qualify, beat Zhou Yulong, which was not an easy win at all. Um, but I think Trump would see that as a, as, a, as a good draw compared to, for example, Bingham or Carter, you know, the really experienced Crucible players. Okay. Before I let you go, I'm, of course, going to ask you both to pick a winner. Dave, I'll stay with you. Who do you fancy to be king of the Crucible after 17 days of madness? I would say don't put your house on this, but I'm actually going to tip it's going to be the same final as last year. I think it'll be O'Sullivan against Kyron Wilson. And I think, wow. O'Sull- and I think O'Sullivan will win his seventh world title. I think he's been almost holding back this season. He's been in five finals, didn't win any of them. But to get to five finals, he's been playing okay, I think. And he must, I know Ronnie talks about, you know, he's not bothered about records. He must look at that seven world titles of Stephen Hendry's and think that'd be pretty cool to equal that with then a chance next year to beat it. So I'm going to say it's Ronnie's title again. Okay, so just quickly, with a half that includes Neil Robertson, Ali Carter, Barry Hawkins, Sean Murphy and Judd Trump, you're picking... Kyron Wilson to get through. I did say don't put your house on it, in fairness. Okay. <laughs> no, I think Kyron, Kyron has played probably more matches than anyone this season. Kyron okay. is match fit. He's second on the list of centuries behind Trump this season. He's played some really, really good stuff. I think he's a crucible player. I think he's a mini Selby, and I think he can, he can slog his way through some of those rounds. We'll see. I might be wrong. I'll keep my wallet shut, although I might open it depending on who Rolf fancies. Who are you going for, Rolf? Well, I think uh, in the upper half, it's a question between uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Mark Selby, but I fancy Ronnie O'Sullivan because I agree with Dave. Uh, He has that seventh world title, that Henry record in his mind for sure. 
and uh, he he played uh, although he didn't win a title he played a very good season and he will be ready for that i i expect and i would look forward to a final between O'Sullivan and Trump, to be honest, but I have no clue who will come out winner of this. Okay, well, I can tell you both wrong. It's Judd Trump that wins title number two. I know Rolf just said he might get there, but I, I can. I mean, put your house on it. Trumpy, title number two. I won't tell you who beats in the final because I haven't got a clue. Um, listen, boys, it's always a pleasure. I'm so excited about the 17 days, as are you. I can't wait. One thing's for certain, it's going to be just drama, drama, drama all the way. But uh, always a pleasure speaking to both of you, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Andy. Well, that sadly is all we've got time in this week's episode of The Break. A reminder, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast on your platform of choice if you can. And of course, we'd love you for it. And don't forget, Eurosport is the place to watch live coverage of the World Snooker Championship. And it all kicks off on Saturday, the 17th of April and runs all the way through to Monday, the 3rd of May. And as usual, you can follow everything on Eurosport.co.uk and the Eurosport app. We'll be back on the break in a week's time when we'll be looking back at round one. But for myself, it's goodbye and thanks for listening.